From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. If you're in the position of taking care of someone, compassion is most likely part of the care you provide. You may already realize that this can be a draining position to be in. There are some practical strategies for building your resilience, and with me in the studio to talk about these strategies are Andrea Dalton and Reverend Roxanne Pendleton. They're from the Center for Trauma-Informed Innovation at the Truman Medical Centers in Kansas City, Missouri, and they're in Syracuse to provide training on this subject at Upstate. Thank you both for being here. Thank Thank you. you for having us. You talk about secondary trauma and fatigue and burnout, so let's start by defining what each of those is. So secondary trauma basically is when you hear about or you witness a trauma that's happening to someone else or has happened to someone else, and you yourself feel the effects of that. Um, You have a traumatic response to that. Um, What happens with that is your fight, flight, or freeze response is activated, and um, you go into, sometimes you have pretty significant effects of secondary trauma, and sometimes they're more mild. So it can be kind of a continuum. And sometimes you don't notice right away that you're having a secondary trauma experience because you continue to do whatever you're doing to help the people that you're working with. And um, when you get in that kind of mode uh, where you're really focused on giving back to other people, uh, you may not notice until you finally take a break that you're having a secondary trauma kind of experience. So I imagine people working in a hospital, I'm certainly like the emergency department or the trauma unit, um, probably see a lot of things like that that they could be affected by on a daily basis. Absolutely. I think that's um, a really, really common experience for people that work in, especially emergency care. Um, My background is in mental health treatment, and uh, we saw that, you know, on a daily basis, people telling us stories of things that had happened to them. And so secondary trauma happens really frequently. Uh, Compassion fatigue takes a little bit longer to build up. It's more, uh, I mean, it's called compassion fatigue. So it's about becoming tired from that caregiving work that you do in whatever capacity that is, whether you're a physician or a nurse or a a mental health provider, or even if you're just caring for your family member who might be ill or um, any of those kind of other day-to-day caregiving things that many of us do. And compassion fatigue has many things that can contribute to it, secondary trauma being one of them. Um, But other things that contribute to compassion fatigue are uh, just if you have your own personal illness going on or other stressors happening in your life, um, your background, the way that you were raised, the things that um, are priorities for you in what you do. Many of us have been raised from an early age to take care of others before we take care of ourselves. And what that means for a lot of us then is that we don't ever take care of ourselves because we're spending our time and energy caring for other people. So compassion fatigue is much more than just having feeling worn out at the end of a day when you've had a very busy day. It's yeah, more than that. Absolutely. Okay. It's it usually takes some time to build up. Okay. Yeah, and it has specific symptoms including the weariness. Um, it's really a sense of I'm running out of my resilience. So it gets harder and harder to get out of bed in the morning, even if you have something that you're passionate about that you're doing. Compassion fatigue also impacts people who care for animals, people who are trying to save the environment, any kind of activist, anyone who is 
passionately committed to a cause, working very, very, very hard and working long hours and juggling many things um, can develop compassion fatigue. And in fact, one of the things we say is it's normal. Compassion fatigue is a normal experience of the chronic stress that occurs for those of us who are in caring professions or who are caring for people in our personal life or both. It is normal. If you don't experience it, we want to talk to you because nice. pretty much everyone, <laughs> everyone that we've ever met and the research shows that it's just absolutely normal. Now, some people um, keep pushing through and don't acknowledge it. And then that's when you become, um, well, the danger becomes then that you could head into burnout. That's and what I was going to ask. Does it lead to burnout? It can. it can. So it's one of the paths into burnout. So burnout uh, is different than secondary trauma. It's different than compassion fatigue. Burnout um, is really marked by um, an absence of compassion. While you have compassion fatigue, you might be tired, but you still have compassion. While you have an experience of secondary trauma, you can still have compassion. But by the time you get to burnout, it's uh, almost as though you go numb or you become cynical. And while secondary trauma primarily impacts the body via the stress response and compassion, and compassion fatigue impacts the body in terms of weariness as well as personal function, burnout impacts everything. Your, your body, your work relationships, your personal relationships, your life in every aspect. And it becomes very dangerous um, in a sense for those of us who are um, in helping professions because you can start to make mistakes. So, or you can start to, um, you know, if you're completely numb or cynical, we work a lot with first responders and one of the things that I think of is say um, an officer comes to the scene and knows that uh, the regulations are you wait, you wait for backup before you go in. But say that person is so completely burnt out that they think, uh, what does it matter? Mm -hmm. And that person goes on and goes in. Well, that person could be harmed or could harm others because um, there's not that backup there. So it's about your decision-making processes become uh, impacted and burnout, like Andrea said, secondary trauma occurs pretty quickly when you witness the trauma or hear about the trauma. Compassion fatigue builds up over time. Burnout even takes a longer time. And likewise, it seems to take a longer time to heal. Mm -hmm. You can heal from all of them, but the path mm -hmm. to healing is different. This sounds like it's dangerous for the people you're trying to take care of as well as yourself, Correct. right? Absolutely. Yeah. So are there physical um, manifestations on your personal health if you're suffering from compassion fatigue or burnout? Yeah, I think uh, just like with any stressful situation, uh, those those hormones that are released in your body, the um, you know things like cortisol, which people talk about a lot as you know one of the important things uh, to note about stress, the stress response in the body, um, it does have an impact on your physical health, on your mental health and well-being, and um, really, I mean, doing something to address it is of utmost importance so that you don't end up in burnout, you don't end up in that state where you may be causing continued harm to other people or to yourself. Yeah, you could actually pretty easily Google um, the signs and symptoms of burnout and compassion fatigue and secondary trauma and, and look at the similarities and differences. I think the thing that's important uh, when I look at this continuum, if you will, is the way that chronic um, stress over time impacts uh, lifetime well-being um, and it becomes toxic. And so what happens is systemically we become inflamed. And uh, there's a lot of talk about 
uh, mental illness recently, and mental illness is a situation where in many cases parts of the brain are inflamed, other parts of the brain are shut down, and um, the hormones of stress wreak havoc. If it wreaks havoc in the brain, you might have suicidality. If it wreaks havoc in the liver, you might have an issue there. If it wreaks mm-hmm. havoc in the heart, you might have heart disease. But those stress hormones do um, impact the body in ways that are measurable and, and scientifically researched. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to predict which person is most at risk for compassion fatigue? Or That's a good question. Or there I think there flags. are a lot of the, there, there are a are lot of risk flags. factors and there are red flags. Um, yeah. Like I was talking about before, that sense of other directedness. You know, if you have that from a very early age, that you take care of others before you take care of yourself. Um, so there's, there's that, and that comes from cultural background, gender expectations, social expectations, just within a family, um, religious expectations. I think play a role in that too. Uh, so that's definitely. A, a risk factor for compassion fatigue. There's um, other directedness. There's um, a some some people are just one of their strengths is responsibility, and so they are those ones who are always kind of coming in to save the day and, and pick up the slack. And Andrea has that <laughs> as a strength. Uh, the dark side of that is if if you overuse it, uh, you develop a condition that she calls yes disease. Yeah. You, say yes, <laughs> you say yes to everything, and then you even don't, when you're even when you can't, worn even out. when you don't have the physical or mental capacity yep. to take care of it anymore. So there's that. There's um, some people tend to minimize traumatic events. So when something happens to them, they're like, "Oh, I'm fine, I'm just fine, everything's fine," and they just push through. Um, there are people who have, like Andrea mentioned, their own um, physical illness, or maybe they've like I don't know, been in an accident, had a surgery, and so then they're tired mm-hmm. and hurting on top of that. People with a history of trauma uh, that is unresolved. Mm-hmm. Um, people who have secondary trauma day in and day out, day in and day out, and some jobs include just, uh, exposure mm-hmm. to that. It's just part of it. Um, I think also limited resources. Yeah, if you, that's a big one. If you are in a situation where you know you maybe you're working three jobs in order to make ends meet, you may not have the when are you going to exercise? You, right, you may not have the time to do those right. those things that everybody tells you you should do to take care of yourself. Um, but it could also be as simple as just not having access to something that you really uh, have found to be fulfilling for you or um, like maybe yoga, doing yoga is your thing and you live in a really small town and there's one yoga studio and it's 20 miles away and it's only open from nine to three <laughs> and you work from eight to five, uh, you know, not having access to or those things that... Or if you're a new mom or yeah. a new dad and you used to run every night after work, but now you have a baby and so you have to come home and take care of the baby. And so people go through seasons in their life where they're more, I think, susceptible mm-hmm. to compassion fatigue. And I would say parents of young children you know, might be in that boat. Definitely. They're sure. tired. They're sleep deprived. Um, so I think there's also the, the sandwich generation mm-hmm. uh, where people are taking care of their children who are still at home, but then they're mm-hmm. also taking care of their aging parents. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another time where people are maybe more susceptible to compassion fatigue. I just feel like if we're not intentional about our self care and our self compassion, if we're not really mindful and thoughtful, then we will fall into compassion fatigue if we're caring for others. Mm-hmm. Even if we can't, if, even if we know we can't get to the gym or do the run or whatever, just sort of realizing that 
And maybe reminding ourselves we're not going to have an infant forever. Right. right. Things are going to change as, yes. right? And we like to teach what we call micro practices of self-care. Going to the gym to work out is more of a macro practice, right? It takes um, the time to get there, the time to be there, and the time to come back. And that takes time that a lot of people don't have. We try to teach uh, tools and practices that you can do anywhere, anytime, with very little. Uh, for example, breathing practices are our favorite things to teach because you always have your breath. And these things you can do for 30 seconds to three minutes, wherever you are, and those can build your resilience. Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, that people can recover from this. How do you rebuild compassion in a caregiver who's become burned out? And this could be a professional caregiver or a person at home mm -hmm. taking care of young children or older parents. Mm -hmm. yeah. How do you rebuild it once you've lost Yeah, it? that's a really good question. Uh, and I think it's different for every person too. Um, there are lots of different ways that you can approach that. One is people change their profession or they change their job sometimes uh, in order to rebuild from that burnout that they experienced. That was one thing that I have done personally. Um, when I got to a point of burnout, I did whatever I could to find a different place to work. And I was still doing the same work, but in a different place. And that actually, for me, was really effective. It was effective though, because I think having heard a little bit of your story, the new place that you went to work had better supports for you oh, as an Oh, absolutely. So it's yeah. not just about changing jobs. If you go from one job that has no support for you to another job that has no support for you. You're still gonna be burned out. You're still out. gonna be burned out. But if you move to a job like Andrea did where she had a supervisor who was more supportive, mm -hmm. she had, um, there were just systems in place yeah. to help people be more balanced and healthy. So changing jobs is one way. Another way is, um, well, oftentimes people who are burnt out need some time off. Mm -hmm. Like they need to take some of those, I don't know, 400 hours of vacation time that they, they haven't taken up, yet. Right. right. And do some meaningful work, meaningful investment in investment, self, yeah. self healing, like yeah. work with a counselor, a therapist, a coach, a pastor, you know, um, invest in what can I do not just to heal now, but protect myself in the future. So they have mm -hmm. to kind of design their life in such a way that it becomes, um, the kind of place they don't want to run screaming from. Like they have to design a life they don't want to escape, mm -hmm. right? So they have to invest in personal healing, invest in designing their life in a different way. And some people uh, recover from burnout. They stay in their current job, but they get involved in something new and exciting for them. So they might like, if they have that flexibility and a boss who understands, they can uh, let go of these projects, work on this new project where they have to like learn some new things and, and do something that energizes them because, mm -hmm. you know, bringing that vitality back into their uh, into their life will help heal burnout too. Mm -hmm. wow. And I think doing that from a recognition of what your strengths are yeah. too. Oh yes. Um, we've done some work with like StrengthsFinder and StrengthScope and those kinds of things. And there's really great research that shows when you work from your strengths, that is protective against burnout. Uh, but I think it can also help you with that healing process too. Like if you do kind of change the direction of your position or you're, um, you know, you're allowed to take on some different duties or tasks, and if those align with your strengths, you are much more likely to feel fulfilled again by the work that you're doing, and that is protective and healing at the same time. Well, very good. Thank you so much for this information. I appreciate both of you being here. My guests have been Andrea Dalton and the Reverend Roxanne Pendleton. They're from the Center for Trauma-Informed Innovation at the Truman Medical Centers in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.